Welcome to Careers in Your Ears, the careers podcast for PhDs and research staff at King's College London. I'm Anna Favalesa, one of the careers consultants working with researchers here at King's. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Victoria Charlton, doing a PhD on policy and bioethics at King's in the Global Health and Social Medicine Department. Thank you very much for joining me, Vicky. Can you tell me a little bit about your career journey so far? Yeah, sure. So I've, um, I think you would term it an interesting looking CV. Um, so I've, I've been around for a while. I, my first interest was natural science. So my undergraduate degree was in natural sciences, but I realised quite soon that um, I wasn't destined for a career in a research lab. And to be honest, at that point, I wasn't really sure what, what to go for next. Um, so after my undergraduate degree, I was more focused on where I wanted to be than what I wanted to be doing. So that led me to London. Um, and um, a short career um, working for one of the big four accounting firms in corporate finance, which had very little to do with my initial graduate degree and wasn't something I wanted to do long term. But it was a really good way of kind of getting myself up and running. Um, it gave me kind of a bit of financial security, gave me three years working in New York, which was fantastic. Um, mm. But I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do long term. So after a few years of doing that, I went off and did a full time master's in science communication. Um, mm-hmm. because I'd always ma- kind of maintained that interest in science but knew that I didn't belong in a lab so it was kind of a way of um, working out what those careers were on the periphery of science um, and through that degree at Imperial um, which I just I adored I had so much fun um, I kind of discovered this little niche called science policy which obviously in the last year and um, during Covid everyone has become an expert in science policy and everyone's very much aware of what it involves um, but back, but back then it was a bit more of a niche. Um, so I was lucky enough to um, find a couple of work placements working in that area and um, was lucky enough to get a job working at the House of Commons for um, the Science and Technology Select Committee, which was just brilliant. Um, you know, great experience, so much fun. Um, I then worked for another uh, year or so at the Academy of Medical Sciences where I was head of policy. Um, and I absolutely adored it. I just, I loved my career. I loved where I ended up, but I was in my early thirties and, um, I knew that I wanted to have a family and it was a tricky career. Um, if you were kind of thinking of getting pregnant and having young kids, because policy is very responsive, you don't get very much flexibility. You don't get very much control over your working life. Um, and my husband's in a very similar situation. He works in the city. So I sort of thought, well, I've always thought about doing a PhD um, and it seemed like quite a good opportunity to kind of go off and do that while I had young kids. So that's what I did. My um, my little girl was born in the January and I started my PhD at King's in the September. Wow, that's quite a transition. Yeah. Um, yeah could you was. tell me a little bit about the role that you had in science policy before you did your PhD? Yes, it was. I feel so privileged to have done it. So um, so for about three years, I was a specialist to House of Commons Science and Technology Select Committee. So obviously to say that you're a specialist in science and technology is a, is a complete madness because there's no way you can possibly be a, a specialist in all of it. Um, so basically, my job was to kind of do a lot of research, but in a different way to how I do it now on my PhD. So um, select committee inquiries are very reliant on um, evidence coming in from various stakeholders who are interested in a particular committee inquiry. So um, one of my big inquiries was around um, the safety of the blood supply in the UK. 
and the kind of um, the way that we make sure that um, that no nasty viruses or anything get into the UK blood supply. So obviously I didn't know a huge amount about going into it, um, but my role as a committee specialist was to take all the evidence relating to all of that and kind of um, summarise it on behalf of the committee members who are the MPs um, and then help them through the um, oral evidence sessions with witnesses who kind of have an understanding of that and and the aim of it all is to try and scrutinize policy and make policy recommendations and at the end of it I'd have been responsible for writing the draft of the final report which can often be kind of 20, 30, 40,000 word reports. Um, so looking back at it now it was absolutely brilliant training for doing a PhD um, because a lot of the skills were very similar but it was also just you know great access to kind of the way that these things really work and kind of you know private meetings in the Houses of Parliament and some fantastic people and it was it was just great um, I loved it. Oh that's great thank you and so you said one of your reasons for choosing to do the PhD was this idea of a little bit of stability um, when starting a family which is quite a courageous decision are there any other reasons that you had for choosing a PhD rather than any other option? Yeah, so I'd always been attracted to doing a PhD. It wasn't like it was an idea that came out of nowhere. Um, I've always loved learning. Um, I mm. did an open university degree when I was working in the accounting firm, which you know not many people do that because I'm a weird geek. Um, so I've, I've always been kind of at my happiest when studying and learning. Um, I became very aware when I was working in science policy that lots of people have PhDs and often I'd be invited to kind of speak at events or sit on panels and I'd be very obvious in my lack of a doctorate. So I'd be sitting you know, next to Dr. So-and-so and Professor So-and-so. Um, and no one ever sort of said anything directly to me, but I always felt, and maybe it is just imposter syndrome, but I always felt slightly that I wasn't taken quite as seriously. Um, so I, I lacked that. That status that's associated with a PhD when you're dealing with kind of academic types. Um, so I sort of saw it as a way of almost treading water and keeping the door open while I needed to kind of let my career take a bit of a backseat in order to balance childcare. Um, mm -hmm. And the reality was that, you know, policy doesn't pay as well as finance. Um, so my husband was the one primarily paying the mortgage. Um, so I, it was always going to be me that was responsible for the for the bulk of childcare. Um, unless we wanted to kind of outsource it, which we didn't. Um, so it seemed like a good way of kind of balancing childcare with longer term career prospects and kind of keeping the door open for myself. Mm, OK, thank you. And um, can you tell us a little bit about your PhD? Yeah, so it kind of follows on from some of the interests I had when I was working in science policy. So it's still very much a policy focused PhD. Um, so my particular interest is around health and healthcare policy. When I was doing my uh, master's, I did a dissertation looking at um, the government proposals for something called value-based pricing of drugs, which was all about working out how much in financial terms we should be willing to pay um, for new drugs coming onto the market. And at what point we should say, actually, they don't offer enough benefit for the prices that they're that they're trying to get. Um, and the organisation that's mostly responsible for this sort of thing in the UK is a body called NICE, National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which is quite often in the news for either saying yes to an expensive new drug or for saying no to something. Um, and I was interested right from my master's in how NICE came to those sorts of decisions. So how does it you know, reach a policy decision about whether a particular drug should be given to us on the NHS or whether it shouldn't be? So my master's dissertation um, looked at this specific value-based pricing policy, which never actually happened. Um, but I, I maintained an interest in those sorts of questions around resource allocation for healthcare. So my PhD is effectively a kind of extension of that of that research question. 
So um, I'm interested in what kind of social and ethical value judgments NICE uses to decide which drugs we're going to have access to and which ones we're not going to get access to. Um, and it's it's a kind of social science um, methodology. So I'm using things like documentary analysis and interviews to try and explore those sorts of questions. Wow. And you said something about your PhD being, being a particular type of PhD. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I am. So I'm again, I'm quite unusual in lots of ways. So <laughs> I'm quite unusual in Kings in as much as I'm part time. Um, mm -hmm. I've pretty much always worked from home, which up until fairly recently wasn't the norm. And also I'm doing a PhD incorporating publications. So because my um, because my work is very focused on policy, I didn't want to just and also because I'm part time, obviously, it takes a long time to do a PhD. It's a six, seven year process if you're part time. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't want to wait until the end to kind of let anyone else see the outputs of my research, um, partly because, you know, policy moves very quickly. It could be that some of my findings are no longer relevant if I wait that long. So I'm doing a PhD incorporating publications, which basically means that I'm publishing articles as I go along. So um, my thesis will, will still be a thesis. I'll still have a kind of a big document at the end, but a, a big part of my thesis will be publications that I've already published. Um, so, so far I've had three pieces of um, research published. I've got another two under review. Um, so by the end of by the end of the whole PhD process, I'll, I'll probably have sort of five, five six, seven publications, um, some of which will then be incorporated within my thesis. So it's a, it's a slightly different way of doing things, but it works very well if you're going down the part time route. Um, and it also works well for my research area because it is so policy focused. God, that's great. And did you have to um, suggest that as an option? No, to be honest, I even though I've been working around academia for years and I've been around lots of people who have done PhDs and have, have kind of been around universities, I still never really understood how it all worked. Even when I first started doing my PhD, I didn't really understand how the process worked. Um, and I had a fantastic supervisor who obviously understood a lot more than me. So it was it was her suggestion that I do a PhD incorporating publications. But even then, when I tried to find kind of guidance on what that exactly was and what the requirements were, there was practically nothing out there at all. Um, it's it's got slightly better now. So I think there's kind of a two pager um, produced by King's that talks about how you do it, how you do a PhD via this route. But it's still really quite unusual. Um, and there's not very much guidance out there at all. There was one other person in my department who had done it. Um, so I, I used her quite a lot in terms of understanding how it all worked. Yeah, I think that's really important, isn't it? It's sort of finding the sources of information and support. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Wow, well done. Um, it's nice to know there are different options, I think, in doing a PhD. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's a really good option. I think it would be difficult if you were full time just because the publication timeline can be so long. Um, and the requirement mm. I think, is that um, anything that's not accepted for publication by the time you submit, you then have to write up as a chapter. So I can see if you're doing it all within three years, it'd be quite difficult to kind of go through that process. But if you're mm. going time, obviously you've got a lot more time in the background for things to go through that really slow publication process. So it becomes much yeah. more feasible. Yeah, it works in your favour, doesn't it? Which is yeah, nice. Mm. And so do you have any tips for managing a part time PhD? Yeah, so so I've, I've found it. I found it great. So the thing that I really love about um, being part time is it I have loads and loads of flexibility. Um, so I don't work nine to five. Um, 
because I've got various sort of childcare commitments to work around. Um, my little girl's now started school, so she finishes school early. I've got to do various drop-ups and pick-ups and walk the dog and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't work nine to five. So I get my hours in, but I get them in kind of in a really flexible way. So sometimes, um, you know, sometimes I'll be up very early in the morning and I'll get work done before anyone else is up and about. Um, other times I might work during nap times. I might do bits and pieces of catch up in the evenings and weekends if I have to. Um, but it's very, very flexible. Um, in order to work with that sort of flexibility, you do need to be quite organised. So you do need to have a clear idea of kind of what you're trying to achieve over what sort of timelines. Um, the thing with a PhD is that you often you don't really have that many deadlines. Um, you're very much self-motivated. And other, mm. other than the really, really big one at the end, often you can go through periods without any real deadline. Um, yeah. So you do have to be quite disciplined about giving yourself targets and giving yourself deadlines. Um, so having that kind of yeah time management and organizational skills are really important um, and I think it's kind of related to that it's I think everyone when they're doing a PhD you go through kind of peaks and troughs in terms of motivation um, and with a part-time PhD you have to maintain that motivation for even longer so by the time I complete I think I'll be on seven years because I had a set of maternity leave in the middle and that's a really long time to do any project so it's good to have little goals to keep yourself motivated um so for me again a great thing about incorporating publications is that they give me kind of little goals to aim for or littler goals to aim for um so kind of incorporating those kind of milestones is really good um and it's a nice way of sort of celebrating little victories on the way um because when you first start a part-time phd particularly when you've got young kids, it does sort of feel like you're never going to get to the finish line. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Yeah, that's great. So what benefits do you think your previous career and being a parent have brought to your PhD? So definitely um, time management, um, the ability to be organised and quite self-motivated. Um, they're all things I, I brought from kind of previous career. I keep on being told by various people that I'm very productive compared to a lot of PhD students. And I think, again, I mean, particularly for me, because I came from working in corporate finance in New York, which was about as intense as it got during the financial crisis, uh, during the financial crisis. So that was like really intense, crazy, crazy hours. Um, you know, academics talk about how hard they work. Trust me, like I have never and will never work as hard as I did those three years in New York. Um, and then policy, again, is very is quite pressured. It's often you're working to very short deadlines. So because of that, although I've got these really long deadlines now that I'm um, in academia or working on a PhD, I think I've brought that kind of, um, yeah, that, that productivity across with me. Um, that's also a skill, mm. I think, that comes with parenthood, um, because when you've got young children, you often don't know if you've got kind of working time or time to kind of, you know, do a bit of housework or something like that, you often don't know how long you've got. So you've just got to make the most of the time you have available. Um, so, so that's definitely one thing. Um, in terms of kind of my previous career, um, policy awareness is really important for my particular subject. I've also been able to make use of my network. So my research is focused on NICE. Um, I've always had a really good relationship with NICE throughout that relation throughout that that PhD time. So although they're not funding my PhD, I'm funded by Welcome. Um, and although they're not kind of formally involved in the research because I had existing contacts in, in that organisation, they've always been aware of the research and they've always been um, very cooperative. And it means I've got kind of a ready-made audience for my findings. 
Um, so yeah, the network that I brought with me was very valuable. Um, leadership skills. Um, I think mm. a PhD is a very, it can be quite a solitary process, mm. um, but it doesn't have to be. So at the moment, I'm leading quite a big interdisciplinary project um, where there's a whole group of us writing a paper together. Um, and I've been leading on that. And I think that's definitely utilising some of the skills I had in terms of managing teams in the past. And then the other thing I'd say is that parenthood is a really good way of putting things into perspective. So it's very easy when you're doing a PhD to get completely sucked into it um, mm. to the point where you really you can't see the wood from the trees. And you sort of it's easy to lose sight of your research question or, or even why you're doing it, what it is you're trying to find out. And parenthood, whether you like it or not, acts as a really good counterbalance to that, because every so often someone will just come and drag you out of that headspace. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's not always that helpful because sometimes you're actually being quite productive in your headspace and you don't necessarily want to stop for 20 minutes to go and get someone a snack. Um, but it is a good way of kind of um, kind of recentering yourself. Um, and sometimes what you need most when you're doing a PhD is a break from your PhD. Um, and even if that break is childcare or you know part time work or whatever else, whatever else you're doing, if you're part time, um, it, is, it is sometimes good to have that break. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and your brain keeps working sometimes, doesn't it? I think in the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hugely. I While am, you're having a break. Yeah, no, massively. I think some of my best thinking for my PhD has come when I've been walking the dog. I had to I had to madly kind of figure out how I was going to capture all these amazing thoughts I was having um, kind of on a dictaphone or something because I couldn't type, type fast enough. Uh, and I, I really liked what you said about doing something collaborative, because I think you're right, particularly when you're doing a part time PhD, it can be I've talked to a few PhDs, part time PhDs recently where um, it can be quite difficult sort of feeling um, sort of integrated into the department. Um, and so doing something collaborative sounds like a really nice way to not only get a bit more experience, but also to to create that network for yourself. Yeah, definitely. I've so I've, I've had a quite I've had I found it quite difficult um, sort of feeling a part of a department. So there are a few things that make it difficult. So part time is always tricky because you're just not there as much. Um, mm. And in particular, I my working days, generally speaking, are Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I did that deliberately because I've always done a little bit of teaching on the side and they, those tend to be the, the heavier teaching days. Um, mm. But a lot of interdisciplinary stuff, a lot of departmental stuff, a lot of the more um, kind of pastoral stuff tends to happen on a Wednesday and a Friday. So seminars right. are often on a Wednesday. Conferences often go Thursday, Friday. So I found that um, often I'm not around for that kind of less less kind of academic but really important stuff. Mm. Um, and particularly because I've always worked from home because I'm you know I'm working flexibly. I'm having to kind of um, work around childcare and pickups and things like that. Um, so it, I did used to find it very difficult to get involved in those sorts of things. Ironically, COVID's made that a lot easier for me because so much more is now happening online. So whereas before I wouldn't have bothered to go into London for the sake of a one hour meeting. Now it's really easy for me to just join a Zoom. And even on days when I'm not normally working, I can often find a way of if not actively engaging in some of these things, I can at least listen in the background. You know, if you know if my little boy is having a nap, I can at least listen in the background to um, kind of people presenting work and things like that. So yeah. so it has been. Yeah, it's been tricky. But COVID ironically has actually made things um, quite a lot easier. Yeah, I think it's important that we remember those those 
benefits um and yeah, that we and keep I'm going really, with some of that yeah exactly i'm really hoping mm. that um that the some of the online meetings and the online training as well um i'm really hoping that that that's that gets kept up um because i think a lot of people have sort of got to know me more weirdly over the last year than they had done over the last few um i mean one thing that's a really good way of getting to know people in your department is to do the um gta work so i i did i i worked as a gta for my first two years i think um, and I now I teach on a couple of modules in my department, just the odd lecture here and there. So that also helps. But it is important to have kind of a network in your department and why I did that as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, and so we're coming near the end, but I just wondered, you've got this uh, fantastic sort of established career and now um, several years of a PhD, part time PhD. So what are you hoping to do next? So I. I wish it would never end because um, <laughs> I have found I have found this absolutely brilliant balance. Um, I mean, for me, doing the PhD while having young kids has honestly kept me sane um, mm. because I, I would have really, really struggled not to work. I've never, ever not worked. So the idea of not working um, just is completely foreign to me. And I think I'd have really lost a lot of my sense of self. Um, mm -hmm. So having the PhD has been fantastic. But at the same time, um, you know, it's been great being able to kind of be around while the kids are young. Um, and in my head, um, the reason why the PhD plan made such sense was in my head, once the kids got to the point where they're at school, all my problems would be solved because, you know, loads of people have school aid kids and they work full time. So I sort of had this magical idea that everything was going to be really easy if I could just last the first five or six years. Mm -hmm. And of course, now I'm getting there and I'm like, that's not how it works because the schools <laughs> shut them out at 3.15 and then you've got like 20 weeks a year when they're not at school. So I've, I've kind of come to this realisation that the, the problem of juggling kind of being primary carer for two kids um, and also having some form of career doesn't go away. Um, mm. So uh, my initial plan had been probably to go back into policy um, because I loved it so much. But now I'm like, actually, a lot of the things that were going to be problematic for me five years ago are still going to be problematic for me for at least the next kind of five to 10 years. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing at the moment. Um, I'm finding it really kind of intellectually satisfying. Um, and, I, and I've got so much flexibility and it's really it's the flexibility that is so valuable. Um, so basically, I want to try and carry on doing what I'm doing at the moment. So I hope to stay in research. Um, and I'm going to be looking for postdocs, but I'm specifically going to be looking for part time postdocs. Um, and I'm not sure if that will be successful. Um, I know historically it's been seen as a bit of a disadvantage if you're part time. But I'm hoping that um, the past couple of years around COVID um, and kind of the new working patterns that we've seen around COVID and the extra flexibility that a lot of people and a lot of parents um, have needed over the last 18 months or so has shown that actually there's a lot to be said um, for people who work flexibly and who work part time and who balance um, a career, not just a job, but a career against um, kind of caring responsibilities. Um, you know, we're we're useful people to have in the job market and to have contributing. So I'm hoping that there will be more opportunities um, for those sorts of flexible working arrangements going forward. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, there's a lot of we were talking about the fact there's a lot of talk about research culture at the moment, isn't there? And it, yeah, I think it's really important that the actions back up the conversations. And that's definitely an important part of it, isn't it? Is allowing a bit more flexibility and slightly different ways of establishing a career. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, I think in the past there's been a tendency to kind of when you're going for funding to always go for it to always go for it on a full time basis and then potentially try and ramp it back to part time later on. But I think if we're going to change the culture, then it takes it takes people saying, actually, no, I'm part time and it's not necessarily a temporary thing. Um, it's how it's how I run my life. It's how I want to carry on running my life. And actually, I can still add an awful lot of value. Um, and, you know, if, if it means that actually you need two part time postdocs rather than one full time postdoc, then, you know, maybe maybe that's OK. And actually, maybe that in some ways adds more value. Mm, absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us, Vicky, and sharing your experiences and thoughts. Um, join us next time on Careers in Your Ears when we'll be continuing our exploration of researcher careers.